Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Luke chapter 17, we're talking about breaking Satan's power through overcoming offense. Verse 1, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. If you're involved in the church any time at all, if you're involved in ministry any time at all, if you're involved in work any time at all, if you're involved in a family much time at all, if you're doing anything with any kind of relationship anywhere for very much time at all, you probably have an opportunity to be offended. But woe to him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. This is plainly what the devil's trying to do through offense. Number one, the devil wants to destroy your destiny. He wants to destroy your ministry. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your business. The devil is a destroyer. Number two, not only does he want to destroy your destiny, your ministry, your business, your family, whatever it may be that God has for the assignment of God on your life. The devil wants to destroy other people through you and through the offense that you're holding on to. Number three, not only does he want to destroy your destiny and your God-given assignment, the devil wants, number two, to destroy other people through the offense that you're holding. But number three, he wants to destroy you. Jesus said, it would be better that the person that brought that offense, that we would tie a millstone on them and throw them at the bottom of the sea. I can understand how he feels. Because guess what? You know my personality? I've offended. If you don't ever offend anybody, you're probably not doing nothing. Take heed to yourselves, he says in verse 3. If your brother trespass against you, if he, look at, read this really closely, if he trespass against you. Somebody, some of you taking offense against somebody for something you think they did and you don't even know. They haven't trespassed against you. They haven't hurt you. Maybe you better stay out of it because you probably don't know. If he trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Now, does any of you know what a monkey trap is? 
So here's how they trap monkeys. They make a wood box or something, you know, strong and secure. They, they drill a, a, a hole in it that's just big enough for the monkey to get his hand in. They put something in it that the monkey wants, right? They tie the box real tight wherever they have it where the monkey's going to be. They have it all secure, so that's the only way the monkey can get to it. And then they leave it there. And the monkey sticks his hand in the trap. And he gets a hold of whatever it was. Now, there's only one way for the monkey to go free. He has to let it go. In fact, this word forgive means let it go. But the monkey, he won't let it go. So the monkey hunter comes with his club, and he conks the monkey on the head. And he's got the monkey because he won't let it go. Don't be the devil's monkey. Let it go. Let it go. Listen, for unforgiveness is like sin. It'll take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Let it go. If he trespasses against you in verse 4, seven times in a day, and seven times a day turns against you and says, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. This could be challenging. I'm telling you, overcoming offense can be challenging. I know all about it. I know personally about it. Because guess what? I've had some offenses. I've had to overcome. I've had some things. I've had to let go. In fact, I can tell you a miracle. I have three sons. They were all raised in the church. They grew up in the ministry. Every one of them loved Jesus. Every one of them are involved in the local church. Every one of them are givers. Do you know what that, a miracle that is? And you know part of it is? We, Miss Barbara, and myself, there's a lot of things that we've had to let go. And if we didn't let them go, our kids wouldn't be serving Jesus like they're serving Jesus. And they wouldn't be involved in the church like they're involved in the church. Because listen, it'll cost you if you don't let it go. And it'll cost you way more than what you really want to pay. Now, what are some of the things that people get offended about? <laughs> I like to say people get offended about some of the dumbest things. People get offended at church over the color of the car. There's been 
church splits over the color of the carpet. Church splits over the color of the chair. You know who picked this carpet? You know who picked those chairs? I had some help from my media team. They said, Pastor, them green chairs don't work with televisions. Yes, sir. I understand. Okay. Pastor Lawson picked that carpet. Pastor Lawson picked those chairs. In fact, when we built our first church in Kit Carson, Colorado, in 1988 and 89, we finished it in 89, started digging the hole in 88. I, I decided we, we were bricking the whole church. It's a beautiful church. But do you know how many colors of bricks there are? <laughs> like 200. How are you going to get anybody to agree on one when there's 200? So you know what I did? I went to the brick guy. I had a pastor friend that built a church in Burlington. It was beautiful. It was brick. I loved it. I got about seven of those bricks just like that. I brought them to the Bible study on Wednesday night. I set them on the desk of the person's house. <laughs> I asked everybody, you like that brick? They said, yeah. I said, that's good. That's the color we'll use. <laughs> Amen. Now, there I pointed someone, and they picked the chairs, and they picked the colors. But I, you know what? I let them make that decision. They were good with colors, good with that. I let them do it. Amen? But we're not going to fight over the carpet color. We're not going to fight over the chair color, but people, people get offended about dumbest things. Amen. Let's read here. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Aaron shared this. This is what I got from Aaron on Wednesday night. It was great. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So Martha had sat there too, hadn't she? But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Ask her, therefore, that she help me. Man, I've prayed that prayer before. Jesus, send me somebody to help. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things. But one thing that you need, and Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mad at my brother. Mad at my sister. I'm mad because she ain't helping me carry the load, Jesus. Now listen, I can, I can be on that conversation. I know how to work. My daddy's favorite scripture was, if you don't work, you don't eat. And I said, Daddy, why are we doing all this stuff? Jesus is going to come back. He said, the Bible says, son, occupy till I come. Get to work. That's his second favorite scripture. Amen. Number one, if you don't work, you don't eat. Number two, occupy till I come. Get back to work. <laughs> Amen. And I love to work. I get to work. I celebrate work. I'm learning how to Take some breaks, because I know that if I don't take some breaks, I can't go the distance. So I'm learning how to take some breaks, and I'm taking more. You know, the first 20 years plus that we had this church, I only missed nine Sundays in 20 years. But I'm learning how to take some breaks. Amen? Because I want to go the distance with the Lord. I want to fulfill my assignment. I know it's necessary. But I... 
if I was in this conversation, I'm on the Mary side. I'm on the Martha side. You understand? That's Pastor Lawson's, right? Because the devil don't wear, if he can't get you bad, he'll get you busy, right? <laughs> now, look at the first thing. She's mad at Mary. She's mad at her sister. But let's look at the second thing. The second thing is this. She's mad at God. Don't you care? See how sneaky the devil is? He try, you work too much, you don't work enough, trying to get you mad, but really trying to get you upset with God. Now, this is something I've heard to be true. I believe it's true. I know a few people who claim to be atheists. How many of you know, biblically speaking, there are no atheists? Biblically speaking, if you read Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to verse 21, every creation knows its creator. So everybody knows there's a God, but if not everybody who claims to be atheist says they're mad at God, nearly everybody, nearly everybody who claims to be atheist is mad at God. They're blaming God. And that's really the devil's game. He wants to get you mad at your brother. He wants to get you mad at your sister. But he really wants to get you mad at God. Because it doesn't work. It's deadly. It's deadly. Amen? So people offended you work too much. You don't work enough. We don't like how you work. We don't have... Can I tell you another one? Mark chapter 10. Verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, these are two of Jesus' best, right? His three closest are Peter, James, and John. They're, they're two of the closest. They're two of the highest. John is the disciple who Jesus loved, the one who has a revelation of his love. The sons of Zebedee, they come unto him. Now, now get you, Jesus has a staff, Right? Do you know before he picked this stuff, he went out and prayed all night to God. Handpicked 12 men to be his staff. And one of them was a devil. Most of them had some problems. But these are two of his best. How many of you know the devil don't care who he takes out? He don't care if you're the highest. He don't care if you're the lowest. All he wants to do is take you out. And he don't care how he does it. Master, we would, we want something from you. Do, do what we want. Jesus said, what do, what do you want? You know, what do you want? Jesus asked him a question. They said, grant unto us that we may sit on your right hand and the other on the left hand in glory. This, this is our request. We want to sit by you in glory. So the first one is about work. The second one is about position. We want a position in eternity, Jesus. We're your highest. We're your best. Put one of us on your right hand and one of us on your left hand in eternity. Can you do that for us, Lord? How many of you know sometimes people get offended about position? You know Kevin. Stand up, Kevin. 
Yeah, you know, we, we had somebody we loved, and we, we sat them on the front row right next to Barbara and I. They got mad, or maybe not them, but somebody close to them got mad because we had them sitting on the front row right next to Barbara and I. Can you imagine that? Position. We want a position. We want to be noticed. We sit you right next to us. And you're mad. I told the person who's mad. I said, listen, that's about as good a seat as we got in the church. <laughs> no, don't, don't think we could do much better than that. I don't know why you're, that's how dumb offense is. That's how, you can sit down. Thank you so much. That's how dumb the devil is. Trying to get you mad about the dumbest thing. We want to sit on your right hand, on your left. Now listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you ask. Many times when people are getting offended, they don't even know what they're talking about. He said, can you drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism, John's baptism, that I was baptized with? They say, yeah, we can. And Jesus said, yep, yeah, that's right. You can drink my cup and you can be baptized with my baptism, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give. This, isn't, this is not in my power. Sometimes people mad at you about something that isn't even in your power. Now let's go just a little bit farther. But Jesus said, this, in, in other words, this is the Father's choice. This is the Father's decision. This isn't my decision. But it shall be given to them who it's prepared for. Verse 41. And when the ten heard, see how sneaky offense is? These guys asking for a position. Jesus said, I can't give that. That's not, my, that's not in my power. That's in the Father's power, essentially. And so the ten heard it, and they began to be much displeased. You know, there are seven things God hates. Proverbs chapter 6, you can read them. What is the last one? What's the last one out of the seven? The seventh, he says, is an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, feet, feet that are swift to run into evil, right? Hands that shed innocent blood. He goes right down the list, and he said the seventh is an abomination. He that sows discord among the brethren. God hates those he hates this sin, we should say. He loves the people. He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. He that sows discord among the brethren. So here these two had a question. It's just a good, honest question. Jesus said, that's not mine to give. But then the ten are like, whoo, boy. They, they begin to be very displeased with them. Discord. The devil's trying to sow discord. Then Jesus called them and said unto them, you know that they who are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise authority or dominion. In the world, they just tell you this is how it's going to be. This is how the cow's going to eat cabbage. And I'll tell you, in the world, a lot of times they're better than the church. Jesus said, in the world, a lot of times people are wiser than in the church. The Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and their great ones will exercise authority upon them. But so it will not be among you, 
But whoever will be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you will be called the chiefest will be servant. Whoever's going to be chief, whoever's going to rule is going to be what? Servant of all. Your minister, your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus said, the people that are going to be greatest in my kingdom are going to be the people who are the greatest servant. Jesus is the greatest leader, and he's also the greatest servant. What do people get offended about? They get offended Right? About work. Not work. Offended at God. Offended about position. Offended about one another. <laughs> it's the devil's game. It's his trap. What's the big one that people get offended about? You said it. Money. People get offended about money. Not enough money, too much money. And we've had people very offended at us at Karis Christian Center because we have too much money. Well, listen, God doesn't work with the same with everybody. And I got instructions from God, and guess who I'm obeying? So I'm going to keep doing what he said. You wouldn't be in this building unless we had. We wouldn't have been in the last building unless we had. Right, because God works in certain ways. And the day we moved in this building, we had no debt. I believe God has greater things ahead of us. And if we're going to be ready when we get there, we've got to have some. Because it takes Money. Right? And, and you know, the world is so bought into the debt system. The church doesn't even know the difference. In fact, I tried to help a ministry here in town years ago get out of debt. I said, listen, they didn't, it wasn't a huge deal. But I said, listen, I, you go to your partners and you ask them to do a gift match. I'll do the first so many thousand. I'll get another minister. I'd already talked to him. He'll do the next so many thousand. And then I'll get five others. They'll do this many thousand. And we'll have your ministry out of debt. You know what they were? They said, well, let us talk to our board. We'll come back. They, they talked to their board. They came back. You know what they said? They came back and said, well, we believe that's good use of our finances to have debt. So we don't want to do it. Okay. So I went and asked Cecil. I said, hey, Cecil, Cecil Paxton, I got on his board. You know what? He didn't have much money, and I got on his board. Another person said, you need to have Pastor Lawson get on your board. Cecil's been a great friend. He hears from God. Lisa hears from God. They have amazing ministry, operating the power of God. I said, Cecil, I'd like to have, you know, first of all, he didn't have, they were renting a building, and then, and then they, just, they just didn't have any money. It took all their money. So we found a building for sale. It was in the downturn locally in the town. It was a great deal, right? The people wanted to sell it. Cecil went to the bank. The bank wouldn't loan him the money because you got to have money to borrow money. It takes money to make money, right? So I said, well, let me talk to the owner. So I sat down with the owner. I said, how about this? How about we pay you so much lease for the building and then you take this amount and save it, right? And we'll use it as 
at, towards the down payment and we'll do a lease purchase option. option. He, he wanted out of the pressure. So he was very happy to do that. So we made a deal and we did a lease purchase for a year or two. And then guess what? Cecil had the money. We bought the building. And then after Cecil did the building, I said, Cecil, I want to do a gift match with you. I want to help you get out of debt. And I did one for so much money, so many thousand. The people met that. About a year later, I said, Cecil, I want to do a gift match with you. I want to help you get out of debt. And he has a building today. They sold the building right next to him, about the same square footage, same type of building for over a million dollars to another ministry. And Cecil's building is debt-free. Amen. Because he was smart enough when I said, hey, I'd like to, he didn't say, I'm going to go to my board and ask my board, and they think that's a good use of the money. I said, okay, go ahead. Stay in debt. I'll let you. I love you. God bless you. I'll keep supporting you every month. I love you. Still support them every month. They got a great ministry. Amen. But there's still in debt. It's how you think. How you think keeps you in trouble. The Bible says you'll lend and not borrow. Is it a sin to lend? Is it a sin to borrow? No, it's not a sin to lend because the Bible says you'll lend and not borrow. It's not a sin to borrow because, right? <laughs> it's not a sin to borrow. Listen, I had three multimillionaire businessmen who were mentors to me, and all of them started with almost nothing and borrowed money. And they became very wealthy multimillionaires through using OPM, other people's money. We used a little OPM when we got in here. But we got in here, and by the time we moved in, it was paid off. Amen? You do what you got to do, but we got to go. We're going a direction. We're believing God for something. But money is offensive to people. And it's especially offensive to church people. So let's turn over a couple chapters. So Luke chapter 12. Everybody go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Beginning in verse 13, one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Can you talk to my brother about our... Did you know what? I had two people come to me last week, one right after this service. She was visiting her sister. She came up to me. She said, Pastor, I feel like I need to tell you this. This is happening in my family. There are people in my family that are letting people that are in the grave control them. I had another one call me on Monday or Tuesday. He's a member. They live about 100 miles from here, but they're very connected. They're very much part of our ministry. They live stream us every week when they're not here personally. And he said, Pastor, I have three friends. He's up there in here. They're in their 70s and 80s. Every one of them, every one of them are offended at somebody who's dead. <laughs> and they're letting somebody who's dead control them because they are offended. Mostly family members. This is a family. How many of you know family can be difficult? <laughs> you can pick your friends, but you can't pick. Family can be difficult. It can be hard. I'll be honest with you. And I'll be honest, in, in this COVID thing, I've never seen anything that's caused so much offense 
and so much division even in the church. Because that spirit's working in the world and the devil wants to get it in the church, but you can stop it. One of the kind of, talk to my brother that he divided the inheritance. He said, man, who made you a judge? Who made me a judge or divider over you? In other words, this isn't, I'm not the person to do this. He said unto him, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now, guess what? Pastor Lawson had this problem. <laughs> pastor Lawson had this problem when he was a pastor. He'd been pastoring for a few years. And we had an inheritance issue. It's very painful. It's very difficult. I went to one of my good Christian brothers that I loved, that I respected, that was one of my mentors at that time, and I said, hey, can you help me? And he said, listen, he gave me the scripture, a man's life for this. And the, but he said, what you need to do is you need to talk to my dad. My dad is an attorney. And his dad was a farm attorney, a real estate attorney, right from Missouri. His dad at that point in time was on Billy Joe Doherty's board, Billy and Joe, Joe and Sharon Doherty, Victory Christian Center Church of about 14,000 people. Genius, amazing man. And he said, my dad will know. So I went to him and I said, hey, here's what's going on, okay? I was promised an inheritance with these conditions. When I was just... 17 years old. If you'll stay and if you'll run this ranch, worth well over a million dollars at that time, we'll give this to you. This will be your inheritance. That was right after my father died. Okay? My father was an epileptic. He was a genius. He was an amazing as far as his intellect. But physically, because of the disability that he worked with, he could not work outside of the family farm. My father had been promised for years, we're going to give you this as your inheritance, this property. But then my father died. Then the promise was made to me. If you'll stay here, if you'll run this ranch, we'll give you this property which I said, I cannot do because I know that God has called me. So we go down the road a few years. Barbara and I are pastoring, right? They call me up. We want to have a meeting. They sit us down around the table. There's four people in the will that are still alive. He said, this is what we want to do. We want to take your name out. We want to take this person's name out. We want to take this person's name out. And we want to give everything to this one person. And not only did that, they used an attorney from my church to do it. So I graciously replied to them in the meeting with all of us there, this is your property you work for it, you earned it, 
you can do whatever you want to do. Right? So my name was taken out of the will and two of my cousin's names were taken out of the will. Right? Go down the road, a few years you know, they find out. There's not only this side of the will, there's a trust involved. This was my grandmother's side of the will. My grandmother's been gone home to be with the Lord. Now, they had very much violated the trust. So they said, will you forgive all of the violations to the trust? I said, sure. You earned it. You got it. Grandma earned it. Grandma got it. You did with it. Grandma died. You did with it what you want to do with it. You're forgiven. Right? All good. So we, we did that. Then we go down the road, and my grandfather dies. Now, the one person gets all that was my grandfather's. He gets all the land, all the machinery, all the livestock. My grandfather's new wife gets all the money. I'm a trustee over a half with four cousins in it. The one who got it all, right? And then three of us that got taken out of the will. I'm the trustee. So I'm thinking I own three-eighths, right? They own five-eighths, so I don't have anything to say. So I go to Greg, well, it's Greg Fritz's dad. So I go to Greg's dad, who's an attorney, who's on Billy Joe Doherty's board, talk to him, and he says, Lawson, this is simple. It's the same anywhere property in the United States is it's the same. This goes to a court of law. He said, you are, you are over half of it. You have control of 50% because you are the trustee for 50%. He's over 50% because he received that 50%. So you are equal co-tenants. And any time two co-tenants cannot agree What's going to do, the, the court, if you take it to court, they'll, they're either going to divide the property, right? Or they're going to sell the property and divide the money. That's how it is. That's law. That's, so I wrote them a letter and said, and this is what they were requesting me. They said, listen, we got all, right? We got this, but we want everything that's everybody's. And we want it all for free for 10 years. So I wrote them a letter. And, and, and Greg's dad also told me this. Gordon Fritz, great man of God. He said, you have to do what's right to the other two cousins, and if you don't, they can hold you accountable. So I said, listen, I'll give you two years. You own five-eighths. You own all the livestock. You all own all the land. Then just go get a loan and buy us out, which is what happened. But they were mad. But it was very painful. I'm talking about emotionally. And, and God bless Barbara. Barbara helped me heal. And here's how this happened. She said, Lawson, your grandfather loved you. He didn't have anything against you. But here was the problem. The problem is that your grandfather lost his wife. He lost both of his sons. And the only thing that he thought could go on was his ranch. And so the only way he thought that could happen is give it all to one person. So it's not that he didn't love you. 
Your grandfather loved you, right? And when she did that, guess what happened? God healed my heart. This is a two-year process, right? Because two years, I'm going to church. I'm going to other meetings, right, outside of my own church. Every time somebody preaches, you know what Pastor Lawson hears? I don't know what they're preaching on, but all I heard was forgive, 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 forgive. And I'm like, God, I love them. I forgive them. Help me forgive them. Because even though I've loved them on the inside and I've forgiven them in my mind, I am mad. In fact, I sat in a meeting with them all and that attorney. And I was so mad, I was shaking. I'm talking about hot, baby, hot, baby, hot. And I got up to go get a drink of cold water and cool off. He said, don't leave, don't leave. Just got to get a drink. I'm not leaving. <laughs> Amen. Money. People get offended about money. Now, here's why they get offended. Either they're jealous, they're operating in fear, or they're operating in greed. Now, listen to what Jesus, listen to his answer to this as he goes forward. He said a parable unto them in verse 16, because here's the answer. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what will I do because I have no room to bestow my fruits? And he said, this I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who does not, that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know what the cure to money is? You know what the cure to offense over money is? Generosity. And I'll tell you something about generous people. And some of my friends... My very closest friends are some of the most generous people that I know in the world. Generous people almost never get offended. Jesse Duplantis is a champion. I fly above Christian turbulence. <laughs> Amen. He's a gen very generous, Mark Hankins. Mark Hankins had a person split his church in Alexandria, Louisiana. We're talking about 50 or 100,000 people. Go right down the street and build a church. Right down the street, split his church, took the people, built a church. Right, And God told Mark, go give him an offering. Now, if you've been around Mark, you know what? Mark is a generous person. Nothing's much more painful than that. And if Mark gave him an offering, baby, it wasn't no dinky offering. Because generosity overcomes offense. Generosity is the cure to jealousy, the cure to greed, the cure to fear. Generosity. Hallelujah. Can I give you one more? One more. I'll go really fast. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. And I'll just tell you about the rest of the scriptures that go with this. Acts 15, verse 36. Some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached. And the word of the Lord 
preach the word of the Lord and see how they do. Let's go back and visit where we've been preaching. Let's see how. Now, who, who is Paul and who is Barnabas? Who are they? They're apostles. Not only Paul is an apostle, Barnabas is an apostle. In other words, in church leadership, you don't get any higher except for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Then they're as high as you can get. In fact, this relationship goes so deep that if you go back to Acts chapter 9 where Paul was converted, Barnabas takes Paul to the leadership of the church and recommends him for the ministry. You can read it in Acts chapter 9, verse 27. This is to the core of their foundation. This relationship is so deep that in Acts chapter 13, when they were gathered together with the leadership of the church, the Holy Ghost spoke to them and said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the ministry. Saul at that time, he became Paul when he moved into the ministry of an apostle. Separate Saul and Barnabas for the ministry, which I've called them to. Certain prophets and teachers, a number of them named in chapter one. Separate. So not only have, does Barnabas take Paul and bring him to the leadership of the church and says, this is God's man. I recommend him to the ministry. When they are with church leadership a number of years later, they ordain them and they send them forth to minister together at the same time. This is a long-term, deep-rooted, positive relationship. But in Acts 15, they've been traveling and they're going to go and, and Paul wants to Barnabas wants to bring Mark. Barnabas is determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. And Paul says, no, I don't think so. He's a mama's boy. He went back home to his mama on the last trip. Just let him be with mama for a while. He got to grow up. We're talking about two of the biggest, strongest leaders in the church. And the contention in verse 39, was so sharp between them, they departed from one another, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So Paul and Barnabas part ways. Now, people say that it worked out for good because the church continued to grow, the church continued to prosper, the ministry was multiplied. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul says, only Luke is with me. But he says, bring Barnabas or, or bring Mark because he's profitable for the ministry. So we know that Barnabas invested into Mark and it was a positive investment and Paul recognized it. But I have a question for you. What happened to Barnabas? What happened to Barnabas? Can anybody tell me? Nobody knows what happened to Barnabas. In fact, after this instance in Acts chapter 15, you never hear about Barnabas again. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to take you out. He wants to destroy your destiny. 
He wants to destroy your ministry. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your business. He wants to destroy your God-given destiny. But you can beat him at his own game. You can let it go. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.